so wonderful having different artists up here leading us into God's presence each week. Okay, question for you. How many of you at some time in your Christian life have found yourself confused? Let me see. How many of you at some time in your Christian life find yourself doubting? Is this really true? How many of you at some time in your Christian life, if you don't feel comfortable raising your hand, that's okay, I understand. (laughs) Say, no way. This is impossible. All right, well, this is for you today. Nicodemus is my hero. This is a guy that... uh, I relate to him. He's, uh, Jesus says he's the leader of Israel. He's one of the great teachers. He's one of the ruling elite. This is a guy who uh, probably has the best training you could find in the nation. And he's going to be confused. And we're going to learn something about Jesus in the middle of this. It's fantastic. It's fantastic that uh, Jesus doesn't mind confusing us from time to time. And I find myself there more times than I care to talk about in my life. You know, one of the great things that we wrestle with here uh, in Summit County is this right here, right? Psalm 19, all of creation shouts the glory of God. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including all of its people. Fantastic ideas. And so we look at this and it's spectacular, but how on earth do we get from this to what's beyond it? The history of the earth is, in one respect, the history of people trying to answer that question. How do we get beyond this spectacular creation to some of the deeper truths of life that you can't see? You can't figure out by staring at a mountain. You can look at creation all day long, but you can't answer some of these fundamental questions. We're in the middle of a series, more of a theme, really, identity theft. As I get older and grow older and I watch what happens in the world around me, I'm becoming more and more convinced that uh, the identity of Jesus has been stolen. And so what I see being replicated out there in the media and the world around us is not what I consider to be the true Jesus. So each week we're looking at a snapshot of who Jesus is. And each week in John, we're going to be surprised because what we learn about Jesus is something a little bit different than what the world teaches us. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. It's a Greek word, logos. In the beginning was the logos. And the only reason that's important is because that was the same word that Plato used to describe um, whatever this is. He had the same privilege we did of staring at creation and trying to make sense of what were the truths behind that. He didn't know what it was. So he called it the logos. Whatever this logos is. So John comes along and says, uh, in the beginning was this Logos, and this Logos was with God, and this Logos was God. And then in John 14, he said, this Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and the whole world came to a screeching halt. Okay, we can believe that there's some principle out there that's somehow God, whatever that is, whoever that is. We use the language all the time, oh my God, right? So we have this awareness of something. And then he says this logos became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what's unique about Christianity, is that we believe that God, who exists beyond this creation, 
broke into our world to come find us. Okay, now God has a problem. I love it when we try to figure out God's problems. It makes me feel better because then my problems don't seem so big. How in the world would God explain to us the reality of a world that goes beyond three dimensions and five senses? Because the world we live in is pretty much three dimensions and five senses, right? This is what we see. And yet we believe by faith that there's something out there far beyond that. How in the world would God explain that to us? How would he go about doing that? That's a real puzzle. There's an older movie now, if you haven't, uh, some of you may have seen it, called The Matrix. In the interview with the two brothers who produced it, who were not Christians, by the way, they asked them, where did you get this incredible story? And they said, right out of the Bible, it's the best science fiction book ever written. Because it's addressing that very problem. We live in two worlds at the same time. I have a world I can touch. I can see. But somehow I believe there's something beyond it. If this is the final, whoa. What a discouragement. If this is it. I live my whole life thinking there's something bigger. I'm part of something bigger than just this. And the quest is to figure that out. So, John chapter 3. We're not the only one that had that question. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. We're getting about as high up in Israel as you can get. I don't talk about this very much, but uh, in my PhD, I found that there's a whole lot I don't know. In fact, most of the things I don't know. And I found myself confused often. Sitting in classes, listening to people much smarter than me talk about things that I'm really grasping to try to figure out. And then I read books. I read a lot. That's just part of what I do. And I read books, and I read, and I read people talking about things I'm scratching my head going, huh? So I read a book five years ago. I started to read a book five years ago, and I couldn't grasp it. It was very, very technical. So I paused, and I looked at uh, who his primary sources were. And I went and read those primary sources for five years to try to get a grasp of what he's talking about. And then I went back and read the book. So my daughter, who's visiting from Boston, sees me reading the book. She says, Dad, didn't you read that book five years ago? And I said, well, I started it five years ago. And here's what I did in the interim because I couldn't make sense of it. It was pretty confusing to me. So I went and read all these other books. And she said, you're such an academic. (laughs) This is who we're talking about here. This is Nicodemus. We're talking about the most elite of the elite. He's part of the Jewish ruling council, and he comes to Jesus at night. I love it. Where's all that boldness and courage? What about just walking up to him in the marketplace, the temple, wherever he happens to be? No, he comes at night. Nobody will see him. He's trying to figure it out. So he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, I love it, doesn't really address this praise. Um, He just makes a statement. Truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Where'd that come from? (laughs) 
No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Now, Nicodemus is already confused. Keep that in mind. He's already trying to make sense of this world around him. I suspect he's scratching his head. And so he says, well, how can anyone be born when they are old? That's a logical question if you're going to be born again. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb or uh, to be born. You can't do that, can you? So Jesus, being who Jesus is, he's going to answer the question, right? Wrong. He doesn't answer the question. He takes him to a whole new level of confusion. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. All right. How many of you are confused? All right. Listen to Nicodemus. How can this be? So Nicodemus has moved from um, praise of who Jesus is. We know that you're someone who's come from God, right? To misunderstanding, how can anyone be born when they are old to stunning confusion? How on earth can this be? It's okay to be confused. That's a very good place to be, quite honestly. Everybody in my profession is trying to figure it out. And we like to stand up here, just being honest, and give you all these answers to things. Tell you how life is supposed to be. But you know, the times when I find myself puzzling the most over who God is, is when I don't have the answers. Sometimes it's hard standing up here and speaking to you because I present to you things that I've studied, and therefore I think I've figured out. I find out later on I really haven't. Some of them I haven't. But this is a message up here often about what have we figured out, and actually today's going to be a little bit of that. Sometimes you should come ask me, or maybe I'll do a sermon on the things I haven't figured out yet. <laughs> the passages that I just scratch my head and think, what on earth is happening here? It's a good place to be confused. That's a good place to be. I find in confusion is where I often pause and stop and say, who really is this Jesus that I've decided to follow? So if you find yourself confused, that's a good place. It's good to be asking that question, who is this Jesus? Sometimes I want to stand up in church and say, you know, I, I don't know if I buy this resurrection garbage. I just don't know if I buy it. Because sometimes I think we all sit around, it's like the bobblehead. Right? And sometimes I just want to stir the pot. I know that surprises some of you. <laughs> it's good to be confused. Jesus has him just where he wants him to be. And now listen to what Jesus says. You think he's going to answer the question. You are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? This is a very big clue. He's talking to Nicodemus at a level higher than most of us will ever even think. Because he's dealing with somebody who is an academic elite. That's why he's my hero. Because I try to be that. I try to study, and I try to learn, and I try to wrestle with all this stuff. That's what you pay me to do. That's one of the things you pay me to do. And I wrestle with all of this. And God, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. So this is written to all the pastors in the group. All the teachers. 
Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we have no, uh, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now that sounds like John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten, the Son of God, he has revealed him. Jesus has revealed God. By the way, the answer to this question is how in the world would God break into our world and help us to grasp what's beyond creation? That's why he sent his son to give us a guide to help us make sense of it, to help us understand what's really out there. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Okay, we probably still haven't solved a lot of your confusion. You just read this straight through, and I, I, I still do. I scratch my head. And Jesus is talking in, not riddles, but he's talking in complexities. He's using language that, that is, is far beyond where most of us live our lives. Right? And it creates confusion. Remember, confusion is a good place. When you find yourself confused or doubting, that's the time to say, who is this Jesus? Do I really believe? Am I really willing to follow him? That's a good place to be. And I am absolutely convinced that God brings us to points of confusion regularly in our lives. I don't know why my first wife died. Can't figure that out. If I go through the trials that I've had in life, I don't know why they happened. But they did. And when I found myself in that moment of asking all those questions, that's when I really begin to check my faith, quite honestly. My faith doesn't get checked when I have an easy answers. When I find the answers to questions, oh yeah, that makes sense, boom, boom, boom. I just move on. No, it's when God brings me to a halt in life and I can no longer answer the questions that I begin to say, who is this God? It's kind of like being married to Nancy, actually. <laughs> when I get to the point with my wonderful wife where I'm scratching my head and I say, what planet were you born on? I find myself being drawn deeper into the mystery of marriage. That's the way it is with God. Okay, so let me give you my thoughts about what he's talking about here. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. This is something brand new. You've heard me use that language. This is something the earth has not heard of. None of the peoples figured it out. This is the very first principle that Jesus lays before us. It's the simplest principle. It's the very first one, and it is the most foundational one. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now, we've had the luxury of having 2,000 years to reflect. Poor Nicodemus just only had 30 seconds, and he didn't get it. And so we've had the privilege of having lots and lots of pastors and students and scholars and rabbis wrestling with this. And so I'm going to take you back to Ezekiel. And I'm going to read to you two very, very wonderful passages. These passages in Ezekiel have to do with the New Covenant. <clears throat> The parables. 
They're parables. This is Ezekiel 36, verse 24. This is God speaking to Israel. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you unless one is born of water. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. For those of you that were here last week, we talked about Jesus turned the water into wine and he didn't say, go get me the wine vessels that are empty. He said, go get me the, those six stone water jars that the Jews use for purification. And I said last week that that's a strike to Judaism. He said, go get the dishpans. Why would he do that? Because he wants to challenge this ritual of cleansing. It had become a simple ritual rather than helping people to understand we need true cleansing of the soul. And here it is. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Now, I have a feeling that I don't have to go very far into the crowd. And every one of you can address that, that, uh, yeah, I don't feel very clean a lot of times. I mess up. I'm broken. I'm broken just like you. You know what? I have bad thoughts. I have wicked thoughts. I have evil thoughts. I'm tempted just like you are. And that's the way we are as humans. And so these are words of life. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. But then he doesn't stop there. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep the law. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. This is a very significant passage in Jewish theology. Water. That became one of the metaphors for when the Messiah comes. He will cleanse us with water. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Well, let's move to the very next chapter, Ezekiel 37. This is the next parable, which became very significant in Jewish theology. The hand of the Lord was on me. Remember, it's a parable. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Well, you know the story, all these dry bones. So they pro- the prophet prophesied, and we have this wind, this breath, it says. Blow across all these dry bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, verse 7. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them. And he said to me, prophesy to this breath, prophesy, son of man, this breath, this wind, this spirit. It's all the same, uh, same word, either Hebrew or Greek. Breath, wind, or spirit, it's the same word. This breath, this spirit, it's coming. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is what Yahweh says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. That's bringing life to the dead. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You've been given life. This is talking about life, this spirit. 
Verse 13, then you, my people, will know that I am Yahweh when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. The same as what he had said over in verse 28. Verse 27 of chapter 36 with the water. I will put my spirit in you and you will obey my laws. When the Messiah comes, God himself is going to indwell us. That is unique in the world, my friends. That's the answer to Plato's question. I'm sorry, Philo's question. No, Plato. (laughs) That's the answer. When you look beyond this, what's out there? There is a God. I believe him. There's no way I could ever find him. He had to come to me. And he used this imagery of water and spirit to show that he's going to put his spirit within me. He's going to come live with me. Now, I don't know about you, but the only way you know about me is whatever I decide to tell you. You can't read my heart. You can't read my mind. And if I decide to be transparent with you, guess what? You begin to trust me. But I don't want you to know everything that's inside. And I suspect you don't want any of us to know everything that's inside of you. But yet God has given us his spirit that we might know the deep things of God, Paul says. This is a wonderful promise. So when Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. This is a reference to these two parables. This is the the coming new covenant. Come on up, you guys that are reading. This is the coming new covenant. Now listen to the very beginning of these two parables. This is how he starts out those two parables. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. Verse 23, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them, Kind of interesting. Israel, you've profaned my name, but yet I'm going to use you to show my glory. Makes you think of Ephesians 3. To God be the glory in the church. That's us. Broken people. Then the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Come on up. I want you to hear John 3.16. Let's hear it first in English. You can use this mic right here. The heart of the gospel. This is meant for all the nations, and I want you to hear it in a couple different languages. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Buenos dias. Yo voy a leer Juan capítulo 3, versículo 16. Porque tanto amó Dios al mundo que dio a su Hijo unigénito para que todo el que cree en él no se pierda, sino que tenga vida eterna. Afrikaans is one of the 11 official languages that they have in South Africa, and the equivalent of John 3, 16 is Johannes 3, 5, 16. Um, in God, so it's a wereld gehad, that is the only geboren seen that for us gee het, for die wat in hom glo, 
ability ever for the other fellows. God desires all the nations, all the nations to know him. As we move toward communion, in fact, I'd like to invite the communion servers to come on up. As we move toward communion, listen to these words again. For God so loved the world, that's you and me. Paul says all of creation is awaiting redemption, all of it. Not just you and me, all of it. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And listen to these golden words, these words of love, these words of life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How would we possibly know about God, the truth, what's out there beyond creation, if God had not sent someone for us? How would we possibly know? There's no way to know. And that's what communion is all about, right? Paul tells us on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, uh, this is my body broken for you. By the way, when he broke his body, he created a new body. Who's that? Us. Look around. Look around. Look at one another. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. That's what we just read in Ezekiel 36 and 37. That's known as the new covenant. The old way, the old way was to try to keep the law. The proper way, I'm going to put my spirit within you if you believe. And therefore, you'll, you'll naturally keep the law because you'll know it. I'll put my spirit within you. God indwells us. And Jesus says that uh, every time we partake of communion, we recognize his death. We celebrate his death. We proclaim his death until he comes. Because this is when it all happened at the death. Now, some of you may have been believers most of your life. You've been on this journey to know Christ for a long time. Praise God. I hope you're still confused. If you're not confused, see me. I'll give you some passages to help you with that. <laughs> I want you to go through phases of confusion. Some of you may be brand new Christians, and you're saying, who is this Jesus that I serve? What a great question. Some of you may don't know Jesus. You haven't believed in him, and you're wondering, do I believe in this guy? Am I willing to follow Jesus? It's a great place to be on this journey wherever you are. Let me invite you when you come to communion to take some time and there'll be men and women up here to pray with, talk to, share stories with, share your praises. Maybe you have a need we can pray for, help you with. Stop and talk. Maybe if you don't know Jesus, to come to somebody up here and say, I don't even know who this guy is. Help me understand it. We love those conversations. I love talking about Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come down and partake of communion. And uh, when you come, we'll help you remember, this is a body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, bring a friend. Think about what your traditions are that you were raised with. If you want to take some time where you are and just pray and thank the Lord and reflect on who you are, that's good. If you want to come down and eat it right now, that's good. If you want to take it back to your seat and uh, by yourself or with a friend, that's okay as well. Just want you to celebrate the Lord together with us.
And if God has put it on your heart, we love to receive your donations because we use it to help people and love people. So if God has put it on your heart, here are your options right here. So uh, let me pray. And then you come, we'll celebrate communion together. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for not leaving us in the lurch. Thank you for uh, not leaving us only to see creation, but in fact to uh, get a grasp of who your son is, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming and expressing the Father to us so that we can know him. We can know who God is. And give, thank you for giving us something to do that reminds us of your death. Thanks for dying for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on down and enjoy communion with us.